Welcome to Look See, the podcast for anyone and everyone curious about the art, the artists, and the creative community in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. Nate Young is a Chicago-based artist who is best known for his exquisite work in wood. I think his work can be best called conceptually narrative. It's inspired by personal recollection, oral history, and family relics, among other things. But this story cannot be seen directly in Nate's work. It's more accurate to say that it can be felt, sensed, or even intuited. I spoke with Nate in Richmond the day after the opening of Recollection, an exhibition of his newest work at the Visual Arts Center of Richmond. The show is spare and ethereal. The objects in the show tell a story about family and identity and memory, and they are also about myth and mysticism. You don't see this work so much as feel it. Nate and I spoke at the Visual Arts Center about what he is trying to get at in recollection and in his work as a whole. My name is Nate Young. I'm an artist and I'm based in Chicago. My work is kind of conceptual, you could say. I deal with a lot of different kinds of materials. I make drawings and sculpture and video and installation. So it can take different forms at different times, depending on what it is that I'm thinking about and what the work is about. What does the word conceptual mean to you in the context of your work? Yeah, I hesitate with that word sometimes because conceptualism, I think, of as a historical genre of art production. But when I do use that word, I, what I mean, I suppose, is that the ideas are forefronted and then the material manifestation of the work follows those ideas. The work that you have created for this show at the Visual Arts Center in Richmond is about the life of your great-grandfather, right? So can you talk a little bit more about how that came about as something that you're thinking about for this work? Yeah, I think I would say that my great-grandfather is a subject in the work. I like to think that the work is about something else. So like that, the bones are a subject in the work, the woodworking is a subject in the work, the ring is a subject in the work. But to me, the work is about authority or things that have the potential to present themselves as true or real. So I was thinking about history and oral history as also another subject in the work to think about how we know ourselves as you know, as people mm-hmm. through history. I had these bones for maybe three or four years and I knew I wanted to do something with them because in other works that I had done, I was using what I refer to sometimes as frameworks or scaffolding or containers that then are able to house ideas, you know. Like language is one that I think about a lot. Like language is a vehicle or a container for thoughts and ideas. And I thought that maybe the bones could act like that somehow. Like that they could carry some kind of energy inside of them and, and be a vehicle for an idea. 
And so the bones that you're referring to, the bones of what or who? So the bones are of the bones of a horse. And I found this horse. And yeah. <laughs> you're just going to leave it at that? <laughs> Yes, the mystery, the enigma of the horse bones. You know, so that's interesting that you brought up the, the idea of the scaffolding or the container, because as I, I was looking at the work that you had been doing building up to this, you're primarily known for your work in wood, and you've used wood as a sculptural material, but also as a frame in a way that, that is much more deeply meaningful than, than we think of as a frame for a picture. It's almost like the, to me, it seems almost like the corporeal framing the spiritual. Or And so as you started to work with these bones, and I guess actually words sort of work the same way. Words are the things that that our ideas and philosophies and things hang on. And in your work in the past, you've tried to, to retain the spirit or the ethereal ideas in the words without the words. Mm-hmm. So as you began to work with these bones and experiment with how they might function in your work, how did that experience unfold for you? I'm happy with the show. No, what you said is, is, is pretty, pretty right on. I mean, I, I, people know the work that I've been doing in wood, a few people. But there are other bodies of work that I have that are about the same ideas. And over the past six or seven or eight years or so, I've been trying to work with different things that could be that container, you know. And I'm really interested in how something looks like it carries something spiritual. Like, is there an aesthetic of a thing that then makes it seem to be carrying something, mm-hmm. you know? Like, if you, can, if you say something in a particular way, does it then become more authoritative? Is it the cadence of, or the intonation like, is that the vehicle? Or is it the particular kind of words that are being used? Like if you use the right kind of rhetoric, is it then believable within a specific field of study? Mm-hmm. That idea sounds a little bit like the way in which preachers choose how they say certain words and, and what words they say. Is, is that part of what influenced you to think about the, that question at first? Mm, I, I don't know if that is what what sparked that thinking. I guess for me, when I was younger and earlier in my making career, I was making work that was about about race and about blackness, and I wanted to stop doing that. I wanted to think about what was underneath that. There are stories in this work that people ask me, is that, is that true? Like, did you find a map that led you to these bones and, and you dug them up out of the ground? And I'm less interested in if it's true, I'm more interested in if it's real. And I think race kind of acts like that too. It's not true, but it's real. So 
I've been more invested in interrogating or trying to create questions or skepticism around what is real and sort of the relationship between what is real and what is true. What is it that makes something look like it could be true? Is it an aesthetic thing? I think there's something in the show that is aesthetic that then makes people feel something, you know. Mm -hmm. The dark room makes you feel your body. It's a real experience. And some people might think, oh, there's something, there's something spiritual about that. Or maybe the bones are, are creating a kind of energy. But, or is that something that, it, that is, is constructed? Is it socially constructed? You know, are we kind of socially conditioned to think certain things are going to produce certain kinds of energies? As you're talking about the idea of, of what things and how they look and how they're presented, exploring what responses those treatments and, and things elicit in the person experiencing them. I won't say the viewer because it's not really a viewing experience. <laughs> I, it, that makes me think about the Catholic Church and reliquaries and, and how, you know, when I first experienced those, I don't know, 30 years ago or something in Italy, uh, my rational mind was thinking, that cannot possibly be the finger of St. Catherine or whatever, <laughs> um, because there are 20 more of them in other churches all around Italy, and they can't all be her finger bones. But it didn't really matter in the end, because it's the, the way that they are presented. There's a piece that I made a while back, I think in like 2012. It's a, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a sculpture, maybe. Maybe it's a painting. Because when you brought up the preacher, I wanted to talk about this piece that I made uh, where I had written this text about a painting not a painting that I made, just a hypothetical painting. Like if I was gonna talk about a painting, or maybe not me, but someone else might talk about a painting in this way. And the language that I use to talk about the painting is very highfalutin, like kinda rhetorical, the rhetoric of painting. And I had that text for a while, and I couldn't figure out what to do with it. And then I thought, oh, I know what to do. I'll read the text as if it's a sermon, as if it's being preached. I took a church pew and I put it in the gallery and I put the church pew really close to the wall and the headphones really low to the ground. So when you reach down to get the headphones, you're sort of like forced into a sitting position. So you sit and you listen to this text being read as if it's a sermon. And I was thinking about the authority of the, the language and the authority of the oratory style and the authority of the, the space, the architecture of the, of the space, and kind of collapsing them into one experience and one space. And then also thinking about that seated position in the pew where you're subject to an authority. And then I decided after that to make a pulpit. So I made this pulpit and it's like, you know, like eight feet tall. Because I was thinking about the other side of that, you know, you're in the pew or you're in the pulpit. And the position in the pulpit is a position of authority and the position of, in the pew is a position of subject, you know. And 
what I did with the pulpit is I painted it with this really black paint. And then there's a wall behind it that's also very black. So the pulpit disappears. It's this humongous thing that you can't see. It's present, but you walk right by it without seeing it. So yeah, I mean, there are, there are things that have to do with religion, maybe Catholicism, but church and the authority of that space. And it's not like, for me, I, I don't think of it as, like, as a critique of religion. I'm just using those things as subjects in the work to think about how we believe, you know. Is there some kind of, it, maybe a lot of belief is formed through social agreement, you know, like it's the finger, right? You know, if everybody believes that it's the finger, then it becomes the finger. We, we know it's not, but let's still put it in a, in a fancy case. And then I started thinking about the case, you know, is it the case then that makes it believable? So I wanted to put the ring on this sort of reliquary that, that props it up. The thing that props it up is the pedestal. Once it's, once it's in the gallery or once it's on a pedestal or once it's in a frame, it automatically becomes more important. We've agreed to that at some point as social beings. So it's real. Is it true? I don't know. Is those drawings, like, you know, I'm just rubbing dirt around. Are they precious? And not when they're in my studio. They're probably laying on the floor or being rolled around somewhere. They get ripped up and stuff like that. And as soon as they get into the gallery and all the way, people start, they put on gloves when they handle them and they get, they get really important and precious and delicate. We agree to that. Because of the space uh, of exhibition, because of the museum, because of you know conservation, mm-hmm. so those are the things that I'm thinking about, and that was what for me what really made me want to think about the frame as an object that's part of the work, as opposed to a thing that just protects the work, or really, I suppose what the frame or the pedestal do, they just tell you what is art and what is not. Inside of this square, there's an artwork. Outside of the square, that's a wall. You wouldn't know that unless there was some delineation. So also light is something that's very important to mm-hmm. the, the communication that this thing is important or spiritual. And for example, the ring, which is, for the sake of argument, the ring of, uh, it's a you know, Freemason ring that was your great-grandfather's or is modeled on your great-grandfather's mm-hmm. Freemason ring that was the object that freed him from a jail mm-hmm. and allowed him to leave the South at a time when it was very dangerous for black men in particular and migrate to the upper Midwest where, you, where your family roots are. And that ring is lit from above, like light from heaven, kind of, and, you know, definitely like that kind of light that we think of as being in a museum, or this is an important thing. In a, it could even be in a display window in a jewelry store, you know, that just the light is the thing that makes it look like a shiny, important object. And then with the horse bones, they are lit in an entirely different way. So you walk into a dark room where there's sound and you're not really sure at first what the sound is. And you're standing there kind of trying to get your bearings and then almost lightning strikes of light 
illuminate really briefly, like you're really trying to see quickly and instant these groupings of the horse bones. And so you've used light in a lot of different ways to explore this idea of how do we make something spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and not just light, but darkness is really important in, in this piece in particular with the, in the installation with the bones. Like right before I got out of grad school in 2009, I decided I, I wanted to make a shift in the way I was thinking about my work. And I didn't want to make, talked about like not making work anymore that was about race. So I made this piece where I was in my studio, and there's a video of me standing in my studio, making myself disappear. So you see me and then I start to fade away, and then I eventually fade all the way out of the, out of the frame. And then in a second channel in the piece, I reappear, but in a, just a black screen. And then I make myself disappear out of that screen as well. So then it's just like blackness. And the title of the piece was Post-Black Magic. And I was thinking about how the idea of post-black automatically implies blackness. You know, like you, you almost, you can't get away from it. Even as you move past it, you automatically refer back to it. So it was sort of a, 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 a paradox that I was thinking about. Since then, I've made several pieces that are about this darkness, but instead of putting myself in the dark, I wanted to put the viewer into that space to occupy that, in my mind at least, like this theoretical space or paradoxical space that maybe can't exist. I mean, when I wanted to make a turn in my work and make work that wasn't really about race, I also wanted to remove the body, the image of the body. Like in making myself disappear, it was about removing the image of the body, withholding that from the viewer. So in some ways, like the black room is a self-portrait too. That might be a stretch, but, but yeah, and the ring is totally about a body. The bones are, they are a body, parts of a body. Is it me? I, I don't know. I mean, this work is maybe more, we were talking to somebody the other day too about how personal this work is. And I feel like it's personal, I also feel like it's not. Like it's not about me. I'm in the work a little bit because it's my story, but it's not about me. In the end, I don't want people to think, oh, this is a portrait of you. Now I know who you are. I want people to walk away thinking about how they experience the world and how that's constructed. How things that are important are actually there's a framework around those things that make them seem important or real. And then more recently, I've been thinking about this text by a writer. He's a poet and, and theorist named Fred Moten. And he wrote this essay that's called Blackness and Nothingness. And he talks essentially, to kind of paraphrase, I hope I do a decent job. Fred, forgive me. If I mess it up, but he talks about blackness as sort of, as a as an optimistic space as opposed to a pessimistic space. Like blackness is kind of framed in a negative way, and he uses the analogy of the hold of a ship, which would be where the cargo is stored. 
so he's talking about the Middle Rights Passage and uh, black folks being in the hold of the ship. He says there's, there are flights of fantasy in the hold, you know, that the pessimistic view would be that in the hold is death, right? It's the subjectivity that is removed from the, the human, from the person. They no longer are human, they are cargo, they're object. But he, he talks about the optimism of that because in, in that loss of subjectivity, there's a potential for other things, for imagined things to happen there. You know, maybe like Sun Ra is you know, similar in some ways to how Sun Ra talks about being from, being from Saturn. That that potentially can be true because it's a, we're, we're talking about a different kind of universe you know, in black. This room has a specific dimension until it's absolutely dark. And then it might be infinite. You know, you can't prove to me how big this room is. So if I tell you this room is infinitely large, like outer space, then that potentially is true. So I'm thinking a lot about blackness, darkness, the absence of light, and the potential that's in that space. Like, and that, that, to me, relates to memory. Because the stories that I'm telling in the show are from, from memory. I never wrote them down. I mean, I'm writing them down now, but my grandmother didn't write them down and my grandfather didn't write them down. But um, the space of memory I'm thinking about as a, as a potential space like that, that's sort of like vast. And I wanted the lights on the bones to act like that too. I mean, to me, it's, it's a withholding so that you can't look at the bones and be with them for an extended amount of time. You can only experience them in your memory because you only got to see it for about a half a second. And what actually happens is that it stays in your brain immediately after that for a period of time. You see an after image and your brain is still sending a signal that it's interpreting as a visual signal, but it's not really there. You know, your eyes aren't really receiving that information. Your brain is telling you that that it's that, that you're seeing it, but you're not. So that, to me, I think, is a kind of parallel to the way that we think about our own identities. You know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it is it is a very difficult experience to be the person in this room and not be able to look at those bones for as long as you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, it really forces you into a different state of mind. It forces you to let go of a lot of things that you come into a gallery space, for example, with the expectation that you can stand there and look at it as long as you want to. <laughs> and you can't. You could be in this room for as long as you want. <laughs> but I like that, yeah, no, it's like, but I also think of this room as a material to the dark. The darkness is a material too. You can spend a lot of time looking at that. You, I mean, you can't see it. You feel it though. Like you said, it's like it's a it's an experiential thing that's happening. I guess yeah. There is a there is an expectation that you're going to see something visually when it's an artwork. Like I'm going to look at a painting. I can stare at that Jackson Pollock painting for two hours if I want. But this this is not that kind of situation. And I like that I wanted the lights to move around. So potentially you could be looking to your left and something happens on your right. You know something happened, but you don't know what it was. So you look right and then something happens on your left and you shoot, look, I missed that one. So then you kind of just look in one direction and wait and then it happens. 
Or you kind of, so at the end, you know, where I found myself just sort of standing and not trying to look yeah. in any particular direction. And then it became a full experience uh -huh. at that point. Yeah. 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 You kind of have to let go mm -hmm. and let it happen to you. Yeah. So going, going out of the room with the darkness and the, and the horse bones and thinking about the prints that you made of images of the bones, one of the things that really interested me about those is that on the frames, there are also some materials from the earth, I guess I would call them, you know, sort of scatterings of, of dirt and, and rocks, and it gives it a sort of an enigmatic, mystical what are those there for kind of quality? So again, it is asking me to shift my thinking about my expectations about looking at a print in a frame. That dirt is particular. So when I, when I came to Richmond, I heard this story about this place that's called Church Hill, and there's a tunnel that goes under the hill. But the story behind the Churchill Tunnel is that in the early 1900s, they were creating a train tunnel to run trains through underneath of Churchill, and it collapsed. And when it collapsed, there were people in there. And it's unclear how many people were stuck in the tunnel because some people, they weren't able to get all of the people out. So they sealed the tunnel. So, and some things that I've heard or read said that there were maybe like three or four people down there and they were workers. Likely they were, they were black workers. They were probably slaves or former slaves. Other accounts say that there was a whole train car full of people. They wouldn't have known how many people were on that train car because that train car was the, the black train car, like the, tr the train car that the black people rode on. And if they were coming from the south to the north, migrating, their family might have expected never to see them again because that happened. You know, my great-grandfather has a story similar to that. I went to the Churchill Tunnel and got some dirt from there, and I used that to make those drawings. <laughs> to me, the, the dirt is more interesting even than the, the actual drawing. I was just like, maybe I should, in the future, or maybe another piece is just a frame filled with dirt all the way to the top. But I wanted that material to be present. I mean, it's present on the paper, but I wanted it to be kind of like visceral, like actually there, the, the material. So that's what that dirt is about. This is new work for me, and I'm still figuring out how to... I mean, the, the dark room withholds your ability to see the bones for a long period of time. But I want to be generous, you know? I'm not trying to be secretive. I want people to know that, that where that dirt is from. I haven't figured out maybe how to do it other than just talking about it and telling people what it is. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a text in the wall label, but I would like it to be something that you're aware of as you experience the piece. Like if, I can, if it can be in the work, you know, then those questions can be answered. I mean, you could also think about those bones and it's dirt and... Those bones, those bones were buried, and I dug them up. So I'm sort of like reburying, you know, re-earthing them, putting them back into the earth, in a way too. 
Well, in your work, at least this body of work, and I, I feel like probably most of your work, has a really strong narrative quality, almost a mythological kind of creating of a narrative that's real or true, or maybe both, and it doesn't really matter in the end. But at the same time, you want to remove text from that narrative, and so it makes it really difficult in a conventional way to tell people where that dirt came from, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's other bodies of work where there's text, but yeah, text in this, I mean, I have a text that I wrote that is my recalling some stories that were told to me. And right now I'm dealing with it sort of as a performance. So at the opening I did a performance and I read a series of stories that are related to some of the objects in the room. I'll deal with these objects for a while. I'm always in the process of figuring them out. I have maybe not so weird, but to me it sometimes it feels very contradictory and difficult way of working that I like to work. There's a, in the process there's an order that I think of chronologically. I have an idea and then I execute that idea. Or I have a thing that I want to communicate or form a critique around or form a question about and then I figure out how to put that together and then I execute. At the same time, sometimes I'm working the other direction where I know this is the material and I'm playing with this material and I'm making a drawing or I'm making a sculpture and then I figure out what it's about in the process of making it. Sometimes it's dizzying. I don't know which direction I'm going. Well, it seems like that sort of idea of the duality of the, again, I'll, I'll, you know, the corporeal, the real, the solid, and the more ethereal or ephemeral is present in your way of working as well as in your work. I mean, it, it just seems all of a piece. Yeah, usually what I've found is most effective for me is if I get stuck, I just work through materials, and then I come back around and run it through the process that chronologically makes sense for me. I mean, this room, I knew. When I first came, I was like, it's going to be dark. There's going to be some bones here, some bones over there, and some bones over there and it's gonna be completely dark, and it, you're gonna hear the sound of the bones like rolling on the floor, and then a light's gonna come on, and it's gonna illuminate the bones when they hit the floor, and then it goes off. And one thing that did change is that I thought originally when the bones weren't hitting the floor, you know, there's kind of a louder clatter of bones when I throw them on the floor. I thought that between those sounds, it would be silent. But when I was recording it, I realized that once I threw them on the ground, I had to pick them back up. And when I picked them up, they, they bumped into each other and made another sound. And I thought, oh, that sound in the dark is gonna be pretty intense. As if there's someone over there, you know, handling the bones and then throwing them down. And now I think I probably, at some point, I would like to do a performance in the pitch black dark where when I throw the bones on the ground, there must be some kind of sensor that senses that sound and turn the, turns the light on. Then I can move around the room, you know. That would be cool. I want to do that. Like throwing, like drawing in the sand and then or reading a palm or something like that. Maybe if the bones land in a certain way, it means something. 
specific. I don't necessarily believe that that configuration of bones means anything, but if I can make it look like, you know, if I can capture the aesthetic of something that looks like it should be meaningful, you know, that's what, that's where I want to get to, yeah, in casting. You can find more information about Nate Young's exhibition at the Visual Arts Center of Richmond by going to their website, visarts.org. And Nate will be building on the work he did here in Richmond for a September show in Chicago at the Monique Maloche Gallery. Check out her website for more details on that. The Look See podcast is a production of Look See, the online community for the visual arts in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening.